I think some of you parents can relate to this, um, or, or maybe you're in a situation uh, where you were guilted into doing something. Parents, that, that's a great tool for parents to get their kids to do something. You just guilt them. You just say, you know, don't you know all the things I've done for you? You ever heard that from your mom? Don't you know all the things I've done for you? I've just loved you into this world. So could you do this for me? So you do something out of guilt, right? Or, or, or you're with someone and they do something and you're like, geez, I probably should do that too. And it's not because you were, your heart was into it. You did it because you kind of felt maybe not shamed into it, but you felt guilty for doing it. It's like, you know, when you've got kids and, you know, the one thing you want to teach your kids is to share want them to share their toys. And so you see them and they're the group of kids and they're not sharing. And this is mine. I don't want to give up my toy. And then you, you say to little Jimmy, little Jimmy, G- listen, share your toys with, with Susie. Share her. It, this is good. See how she's sharing all her toys. Good boys and girls share their toys, right? You ever do that? And you're, you're trying to teach them. And then little Jimmy looks at you and says, no, this is mine, right? And then you say, okay, if you ever want to play with toys again the rest of your life, you're never going to have another Christmas as long as you live. And so then he reluctantly, you know, gives up his toy to, to, to share uh, with, with that other child. We're, we're in this, we're finishing the series today of, of less of me. And, and let's just be honest. Can we just all be honest? This, we, we've come to this realization over this series that we're selfish, Right, we we are we're, we're we're selfish in so many ways, and 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 we're 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 dealing with our, our selfishness, and you know, and 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 this is the one thing that we can see through the Word of God is that is that the Lord wants us to look at at, at our selfishness and say, you know what, um, what am I doing to look beyond myself, and and that's really the purpose of this series. We're we're looking at less of me because we look at the new year, right? You look at the new year and and. You, you, you want to change things about yourself. And maybe some of you have made those New Year's resolutions and, and you know, maybe it's to, you know, whatever, whatever that thing might be that, that you want to do. And most people don't keep, keep their resolutions, but it's always something about me. And I wanted us to shift our thinking instead of thinking, well, you know, what can I do uh, about me and, and change things about me, which is fine. And we all need to, to, to improve, right? The biggest room in, in, in every house is the room for improvement. So we all can improve in the areas of our lives. But I, I thought maybe um, we look at this year and say, maybe not looking so much at myself, but how do we improve other people? Or how do we, how can we better serve other people? And really, if you think about it, that's at the heart of the gospel. And, and really, the gospel message, when you hear the gospel, some of you may say, well, what does what is gospel mean? What does the gospel message mean? Because we, we know that Jesus came to preach this message. It's the gospel message that changes hearts and lives. The gospel message is really simple. It, it's just this. It's good news. How many of you like good news? It's just good news. And, and really, the gospel message is good. It's literally what it means. It means glad tidings or, or good news. And the good news is Jesus came for selfish people. Jesus came for sinners, which every single one of us in this room are. We're all sinners. And Jesus came as the perfect son of God, God himself, to serve us. To actually give his life as a ransom for you and I. To deliver us from me. 
Listen, the greatest struggle, I said this last week, the greatest struggle you have in your life is not somebody else. It's not your coworkers. It's not some big trial you're going through. The biggest struggle you're going to have in your life is you. That's your biggest struggle is getting through you. And Jesus came to deliver us from ourselves. This teaching today that we're going to see from the word of God, I believe can be transformational if we allow it to be applied to our hearts. I believe it can change your relationships, your marriage, your, the way you look at your relationship with God. If we apply the principle of God's word to our life, listen, God doesn't just want you to be hearers of his word. You got to take that step and be doers. That's when it becomes transformational. I mean, you know, we can sit and we can listen and we can hear, but unless we're doing it, that's the fruit that something is being produced in our hearts that we're hearing it, but we're doing it. We're taking that step of obedience um, to, to move forward, to allow God to do something in, in our hearts. And so the, the problem with our hearts is that the proclivity of my heart is to take care of me. The proclivity of my heart is to protect myself. The proclivity of my heart is to make myself look good. I, I, don't, I don't want people to see the shady part of my heart. I, don't, I, 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 wanna, I want people to perceive me in a certain way. Can we just be honest? Just, it's just us talking this morning, just me and you, okay? Just us. Can we just get real this morning? We, that's the way we are. We, we don't, we, we're afraid of being judged by other people. And it, it, it is accentuated within the church. Because we don't want to be judged. We don't want people to think something different from us. But the problem is we're selfish. And that's the thing we're constantly battling with. And, 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 and the thing I want to bring out today is how do we battle this, this selfishness? And, and there's, there's, actual, there's actually scientific studies. Scientific studies that show that we're actually selfish by nature. Now, we know that the word of God says that, but, but here's the thing. I don't even need scientific studies to show me that we're selfish um, by nature. The, the reason why I know we're, we're selfish by nature is I can see all of that happening in an airplane. So you're like, well, pastor, what are you talking about? I got a picture here for you. Here's a picture of the inside. If you ever flown one of these, this is the worst scenario ever. Just look at that picture, okay? You got three seats on both sides. Here's how I know um, that people are, are selfish by nature. How many of you, when you get on a plane, you got to choose your seat. How many of you like the window seat? Yeah, yeah. You look, isn't the window seat great? You're in control of the shape. You don't want... You don't want any light coming in. You don't care what the other two people are thinking. You're in control. It's, a, it's an unsaid rule, but you're in control of the shade, right? Now you got the, the side of the plane. You can lay your head on it. You know, you're tucked in there. It's like a lot of people like um, the, 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 the window seat. How many of you are aisle people? You like to be in the aisle. Okay, I'm the, that's me. I like to stretch my legs out. I like to... to trip the attendants when they're going down the aisle. The, they roll the cart over my leg all the time, but I can stretch out. And the reason why I like the aisle seat is because I can get up when I want. 
So if I need to stretch, I'm not bothering anybody. So if the person next to me is snoring or sleeping or you don't have to disturb them. You just get up, go to the bathroom. I am definitely the, 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 the aisle thing. But what I've noticed is, is nobody likes the middle seat. Now, here's how I know that. Here's how I know. Now, maybe there's some of you out there that are just demented in your mind and you like the middle seat. But here's the reason why I know that people don't like the middle seat. Here's the reason why. The middle seat is like being stuck in purgatory. It's just, you're, you're stuck in the middle. You can't, you can't rest your head. You can't use the armrest. Uh, anytime you move, you're going to disturb uh, someone. You, you can't look out the window. You can't tell the guy, hey, can you lift up your shoe? You don't do that. Can you lift up your shoe? Then the people next to you are, are even using the armrest. You've got nothing. You're here. This is you right here in the middle seat. Nobody, here's the reason why. I know nobody picks the middle seat because the last time we flew as a family, we got the Econo tickets. We got the best deal on our tickets. It was just amazing deal we got the last time we flew. I was just so stoked. But here's the thing. We couldn't pick our seats. So when we got to the airport, they pick your seats for us. And guess what seat we all got? Middle seat, back of the plane. I mean, it couldn't get any worse than that. That's what, because no one picks the middle seat because it's the worst seat in the world. And so this is, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I don't want the middle seat either, but, and, and I, I, you know, I, I, I want us to get this idea of God, how can you change my mind to start thinking this way? What is the middle seat mentality? What if I chose the middle seat? Jesus, are you asking us symbolically to be Middle seat people, not, not aisle people, right? Stretch your legs out, right? Get up when you want. Not, not, not window people where I got, I can look out the window. Oh, that's neat. And hey, you see what's going? Oh, you can't see. But anyways, it's really cool out here. It's, I can see the Rockies. I can see the Grand. Oh, that's too bad that you're over there and you can't see anything, right? Uh, Oh, it's too bright. Sorry, you can't sleep, but I want to look out the window, right? Well, what if, what if we chose the, the, the middle seat. Now, I, 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 I really didn't want to share this with you because I don't want to, I didn't really want to talk about this because I don't want to start problems in your marriages. But, um, but here, here's, let me, let me just throw this out. Just, just see where it lands. Okay. Um, who do you think is more selfish, men or women? Okay. So all the women say men. <laughs> Men are afraid to answer for all the repercussions, okay? So, um, actually, uh, men are more selfish. That's what they say. Now, not in my house, but I'm just, no, uh, men are more selfish. So, I just, that has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to throw that out there. So, so here, here's, here's where, where I want to land today. Here, here's where I want to land today. I, w- I want to look at how, how we can take that middle seat, and look at our New Year's resolutions in a different way. Look beyond ourselves and, and look at actually how can I be the person that, that Christ desires me to be, that is a person that's, that's actually generous, that has a, a generous heart that looks in the middle seat, so that looks to take the middle seat. So I, w- I want to look at two um, examples that we're going to see in Scripture today of, of, of a church that held the example of taking a, a middle seat and then, and then a woman 
this woman that we see in in scripture, a, a sinful woman who asked for forgiveness and took the middle seat in the way she approached forgiveness and healing um, from from Jesus. And so I want to look at these two things. So if, if, if you've got your Bibles, you can look at the screens. I, w- I want to dive into the scriptures today. And I, I first want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. I want to look at this church, these churches in Macedonia that Paul, the Apostle Paul commends for just having a generous heart. This is a church. These churches took the middle seat. And, and I want to see how this can, can translate into our hearts. So here's what Paul says. He says, now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So he's, he's using the churches in Macedonia as an example to the churches in Corinthians that you need to step up in your generosity. You do a lot of things well, but you're not very generous. And so he wants them to step it up. He says, they, they are being tested. He's talking about the church in Macedonia by many troubles and they're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. So they don't have anything. They're facing persecution and, and poverty, but yet there's, they have this abundant joy and it's overflowing in generosity. He says, for I can testify that they gave not only of what they could afford, but more. And, and, and they did it of their own free will. Like Paul didn't ask them. Paul says, man, you guys are going through enough. But they're saying, no, Paul, we have to give. We are so joyful that we have to give. So they gave out of their free will. And he goes, they begged us again and again for the privilege, the privilege of sharing in the gifts of the believers in Jerusalem. So Paul was taking an offering for those that were suffering in Jerusalem in these churches in Macedonia. He said, no, we, want, we don't know them, but we want to give. Please let us give. Right there, middle seat. They didn't have any, that much to give. They said, please let us give. And Paul says they did even more than we'd hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Man, this church had, these churches had it right. So we urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of, so we're there, giving. The ministry of, of giving. Hey, churches in Corinthians, step it up. Start, start giving. Since you've excelled, and he says, listen, the church in Corinthians, in Corinth, they excelled in so many ways in your faith and your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your, your love from us. But I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving, this, this grace giving. For I'm not commanding you to do this, but here's what Paul says. But I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. And so you know the generous grace. Now here, here's, here's the gospel message. Here it is. Ready? In verse 9, he says, For you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty he may make you rich. See, Jesus gave up everything. So we could receive the benefits that we didn't deserve so we could find eternal life. Are you kidding me? That's a pretty good deal. And I want you to grab this. Everything that Jesus did for us was out of his grace and mercy, not because we earned it or merited it. And when you get that, it's not something that Jesus coerced you into doing. Jesus didn't get you in a headlock. 
and say, you got to serve me. And then you tapped out. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. How many know that's not going to work? It may work for a week or two. But what Jesus does is he does something for us. He gave up everything so we could have everything. Do you, do you, do you get that? So if I understand that it, something's to translate in my heart, we're like, I, I don't have to give. I want to give. I want to give my life now out of response for the wonderful act of grace and mercy that Jesus poured out on my life that I didn't deserve. Are, are you seeing it? Okay. This is so important for us to understand. The Macedonian churches got this. Even though they didn't have anything, they had this great joy and they had to give because they understood the rich mercy and grace that Jesus poured out on their lives. So they wanted to help these other believers through this offering. So, so here's, here's the point, ready? Here's, here's the first point I want to bring to you. Um, I, I want you to understand what gospel giving is all about. God wants every single follower of him to be a gospel giver. So, so here's the first point. Here's the thing I want you to look at. Gospel giving is in response to the grace that's been given to us. Okay. Gospel giving is in response to the grace that's been given to us. So here's what happens when that happens. My heart changes. It, the, 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 the bonds of selfishness are taken off my heart when I understand what Jesus did for me. So an open heart is an open life, which leads us to an open hand. So when God opens your heart, he opens a life, which now leads to open hands. I, now I want to serve. It, it's not about me. I'm, I'm going to take the middle seat now. It's, it's not necessarily about me. And it begins to break our selfishness, which translates into joy. Which translates into joy. Because now I'm doing what God desires me to do. So, so how, let's look at this. How did the churches in, in, in Macedonia show a middle seat mentality? There, there's a bunch of things in here that I wanted to shoot out at you that Paul um, brings out to, to the churches. In Corinth, he says, listen, here are the things that they did well. I'm not trying to put you down, but I'm just saying, here's the example that they gave. Here's that middle seat mentality that they did to show that their hearts were right before the Lord. And they, and they understood gospel giving. What they did is Paul said, first, they, they first gave to God. It's the first thing they did. They first gave to God. So here's, so they weren't choosing this seat. They weren't choosing this seat first. When they came and they saw I could have the aisle seat, the window seat, or the middle seat, they said, I'm going to take the least seat. So instead of first giving to themselves, they first gave to God. Now, here's, here's the principle I want to drill down on. In the Old Testament, God is trying to teach the Israelites on what's most important in their relationship with him. And so what God does is he teaches them this first principle. Is that he says, I want you to rest on the Sabbath. I want you to take a rest from your work. And the reason for the Sabbath was not to make it legalistic. So you didn't, so God could say, oh God, I don't want you to do anything. If you do anything, I'm just going to strike you dead. The reason for the Sabbath was they could rest and reflect. Rest from their labor and reflect on the God who blesses them. It was supposed to be a joyful thing. Not, not a, a thing of heavy legalism and don't do this and don't do that, but it's actually be a joyful thing, a restful thing to stop and reflect on God is the provider. 
So he says, give me the first day of the week, which is the Sabbath. And then he told them, give me the first of your increase. Whatever I've blessed you with, I want you to set aside 10%. We call that the tithe in the Old Testament. He goes, I want you to set that aside and I want you to give it to me. I want you to give you the first of my week. I want you to give me the first of your increase. Don't, I, don't, I want you to give me the best of your flock and my sacrifice. I don't want you to just look and say, okay, what is the worst lamb in my flock? The one that's got pus coming out of its eye. It's limping on three legs, right? The wool is all matted, nasty. Okay, God, I'll give you that for the sacrifice, right? That's not, God says, I want you to give me your what? Best. And when we recognize the first principle, what we're saying is, God, you're first in my life. I want to give you the first of my week. I want to give you the first of my day when I wake up. I want to recognize you. I want to give you the first of my increase. I want to give you, um, uh, uh, the, you know, I want to give you the first, the best, and that's what Paul says, that they first gave to God. So the focus of my mind should always be, God, you've done all this for me. Why in the world would I give you sloppy seconds? You know, can, can you imagine with your spouse, if you're standing there on your wedding day, she looks beautiful. She's got her beautiful wedding gown on, wedding dress on. You got your tux on and you're standing there before the pastor. And he's reading the vows to you guys. Hey, for better, for worse. Yeah, better, for worse. For richer, or poor. Yeah. And sickness and in health. Yeah, I, I get that. Can you imagine if the pastor said, listen, how about you're just faithful some of the time? Let's just say, 90% of the time you'll be faithful, but 10% of the time you're not going to be faithful. Can you imagine that? We'd all walk out, wouldn't we? We'd all take our toasters. We'd say, I'm out of here. This isn't a wedding. Why? Because the vow you, you vow that you made to your spouse is not a contract. It's a covenant. See, Jesus didn't make a contract with us. He made a covenant with us through his very precious blood. Why in the world? Listen to me, people. Why in the world would I give him any less? Why would I? See, if, if Jesus formed a contract with us, and I can say, okay, Jesus, I'll give you one day out of the week, but all the rest of the days are mine. I can live the way I want. Is that the type of relationship that Christ wants to have with us? No, he wants everything. He wants our heart. And so this first principle is a recognition that, God, you're first in my heart. You're first with my finances, you're first in my life. You're first in my week. I, I want you to have it. And so what Paul says is they gave first to God. But then he says, not only, not only did they give first to God, but they did it with joy. They, they, they gave first to God. But then the next thing is they gave out of joy. Have you ever done something purely out of joy? You, you wanted to do it out of a sense of gratitude. Um, have you ever met someone that was just a giver and just loved to help people? I, I love people like that. They, they were just glad to share with you and you needed something. And they said, oh yeah, I've got that. And I, I, you know, they're not stingy and they just want to help you and share, share with you. Man, the, I, behind those people that are givers is really joy. It really is. They're, they're glad to help you. I, I love the, the giving people that it's just, it's like, wow, you just got this joy and you love to give. I'd love to hang out with those 
people because I'm like, man, keep pouring. Yeah, I need that in my life. And I need to be more gracious and, and, and do it with joy. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, he says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few what, seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives what? Cheerfully. Cheerfully, a joyful giver. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you, will be, then you will be able to have everything you need and plenty left over to do what? To share with others. In fact, the, the, English, uh, the English Bible, uh, the, the word cheerful literally means hilarious, that God loves a hilarious giver. I mean, it's over in abundance that God loves us to be joyful in the way we give out of response to the gospel message in which Jesus gave to us. Not only did they, they first give to God and they gave out of joy, but Paul says they gave actually out of their poverty. Here's something they did. They actually gave out of their, their poverty. Um, grace giving begins when I remind myself that I'm bankrupt before God and I don't deserve a thing. Boom. See, when I have an entitlement mentality that I deserve something, I'm not going to give with joy or gratitude. I'm going to give out of a sense of obligation and so on and so forth, but, but I'm not going to give with the right heart. See, when I understand that I'm bankrupt before God, that I don't bring anything. Listen, listen to me. We don't bring anything to the table besides a sinful life. And God says, okay, I'm going to receive you just as you are, and I'm going to change you. So when I come bankrupt... And I say, God, I absolutely need you. There's nothing that I'm going to bring to this table that, that you're uh, going to be pleased with, that I could actually access your holiness through my goodness. There's nothing I bring. I'm completely bankrupt. And that I don't deserve a thing. That's where your grace giving begins. And so, so physically, the Macedonian churches had nothing. They were in poverty, but they gave out of their joy. They gave whatever they had. They didn't use the excuse by saying, you know what, Paul? What about us? We need something, right? He, he's, they said, we don't have a lot, but we want to give what we have. And we're going to give out a joy because they realized the grace that was given to them. And so, so, so here's, here's the example that, that Paul is, is sharing with the Corinthian churches. It's this middle seat mentality. It's not, I'm going to make you give. I'm not going to guilt you into giving. Paul didn't do that with with the churches in Corinth. He said, listen, I want you to realize what Jesus has done for you. That he became poor for your sake, that he gave everything for you. And if you understand that there's going to be this mentality of gratitude to give and to serve. And there's going to be a joy in your life when you do that. And that's why Paul was so encouraged with the churches in Macedonia. But I want to give you another story here of middle seat mentality of, of a sinful woman who uh, came to Jesus while he was at the house of a Pharisee. And it's, it's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 7. And I want to read it for you because it's really, really good. Because Jesus uses that opportunity of the sinful woman who came to this dinner to teach something to those who thought they were entitled 
to teach something to those who didn't have a gracious heart, who didn't take the middle seat. And so Jesus uses this opportunity to teach them something very important about what it means to take a middle seat. And so it, it's, it's Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. It's, it's in, starts in verse 36. And it says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and, and he reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And she stood behind him and at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. And now Jesus uses this opportunity, this woman who's wiping his feet with her tears and her hair and anointing him with this perfume on her feet. Jesus uses this opportunity. And I'm sure there's a big, I'm sure people are raising their eyebrows at this, at this dinner. And now Jesus uses this to tell this story. He says this, he said, two men owed uh, money to a certain money lender. Who, who owed them 500 denarii, and another he owed 50. Neither of them had any money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And then Simon the Pharisee says, well, 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 I suppose the one who had the, the bigger debt canceled. And then Jesus says, um, you have judged correctly. And then he turned towards the woman and he said, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now here's his, here's his object lesson. Here, here's what he's saying. She's right there. He says, I came into your house. Now, now she's the sinner. She's the outcast. Um, the Pharisee is supposed to be the righteous one. So the tables get flipped. I love how Jesus does this. <laughs> here's how they get flipped. He says, do you see this woman? Now I was like, okay, is he going to condemn her? Is he going to point out her sinful lifestyle? Is he going to shame her? Listen to what he does. Simon, you didn't give me any water for my feet, which is customary. You didn't do that. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss when I came to your house. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Wow. That's a big matzo ball right there. It's a big statement. Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus says to the, women, to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. So let me set this up for you. So the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. He's at their house. The, the, the Pharisees were this sect of within Judaism. Um, they were known for you know, personal 
you know, just their personal righteousness. They prided themselves in keeping God's law and looked down on others who didn't keep their rules. And so Jesus challenged them on the true motive of, of their hearts. And, and, and they were more really in love with their rules than they were with God. So Jesus really revealed their hearts. And obviously they didn't like Jesus for that because he revealed the true motives of their heart. Um, this is why they didn't, uh, didn't care so much for Jesus and always tried to debate him and argue with him and, and eventually uh, led to his arrest and, and death and so on and so forth. So Jesus at this house and he's reclining at the table. Now, what happens is when, when they would eat, they would lean towards the table and their feet would be away from the table. So it's not like what we're thinking, like, was she under the table? Watching what was, they would recline actually at the table. They were actually leaning down on the ground. And so his feet would be pointed out. And so she, would, she came into that um, area where they were eating and then she began um, to, to, to wash his feet. Now the woman had a reputation. She comes behind Jesus. She kisses his feet, anoints his feet with perfume, um, with her hair and with her tears. She's doing... In that culture, she's doing a lot of no-nos, okay? A lot of no-nos. Letting her hair down, no-no. Um, just coming in and, and doing what she did uh, would, would be very unbecoming in that society. So she, she's breaking all these, you know, she's breaking all these rules, these customary rules, and Jesus doesn't stop her. He doesn't stop her. Jesus is not worried about his reputation. Jesus isn't worried about what the other Pharisees think. See, the Pharisees, with their nose up in the air, said to Jesus, don't you know what kind of woman this is? And if you knew what kind of woman she is, you would never let her touch her. Now, did Jesus know what kind of woman she was? He did. Of course he did. But Jesus didn't stop her. Because he, he was going to use this situation to show the heart of God. So in the middle of the story, in the middle of the situation, Jesus shares this story. Because you've got two people. One owed about 20 months wages. The other about two months wages. Both could not pay back the money lender. So Jesus asked, which one did he love more? And they said, probably the one with the greater debt. Jesus says, you answered correctly. Now, what Jesus does is he uses this incident to show the difference in gratitude for what was given to these two people. And so Jesus is using it to show the difference between this woman and Simon the Pharisee. So here's how I want to finish today. How did this woman show a middle seat mentality? How did, how did she show that? How did she show seashells, seashells by the seashore? Right? Um, how, how, did, how did she show this to Jesus? Okay. The sinful woman who didn't deserve anything gave everything to Jesus. So here's a couple of things I just want you to see here. First, she was thankful for her forgiveness. She, she knew where to come for her, her forgiveness. Um, and what responded because of her forgiveness and knowing that Jesus could forgive her, knowing that she knew that he was the son of God that could forgive her. It wasn't beneath her to bow at Jesus' feet and humble, her, and humble herself before him. See, Simon, it was beneath him to do that. That's why he didn't kiss Jesus. That's why he didn't wash his feet. He didn't do anything because, you know, I'm too good for that. So it wasn't beneath her to do that. So she's very grateful. She's thankful for forgiveness. It wasn't beneath her. She was thankful for her forgiveness because, because she understood that her sin was great. So she goes, I'm going to take a shot here. I'm going to break all the cultural mores just to do this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to become completely vulnerable before Jesus. And I'm going to hope that he forgives me. 
See, Jesus points out how the woman acted towards Jesus and how Simon the Pharisee did. But here's the difference. Simon didn't do a thing, but she gave everything to Jesus. Here's how I know that she gave everything to Jesus. Her, her love for Jesus was seen in the way she humbled herself before him. See, Simon, on the other hand, did nothing for Jesus and showed him absolutely no love because the one who is forgiven little loves little. See, Simon didn't understand about forgiveness because it wasn't shown in his life. He was very entitled by the way he lived his life and his self-righteousness. She loved much because she understood how much she was forgiven. So Jesus tells this woman that her faith has saved her. And what I love about this story is most likely scholars believe that the very perfume that she used was for her sinful lifestyle. So what she does is she takes the very perfume that she probably used for her sinful lifestyle and she redeemed it to use in worship to Jesus. She was redeemed. She took a symbol of her sinful lifestyle and said, I'm not going to use it for that anymore. I'm going to let God redeem it to use for my worship unto the Lord and God. And Jesus redeems it and forgives her and her life is changed. So here's the last thing I want you to see as Katie comes up and I want to challenge you as we close today. The richest generosity often comes out of the deepest poverty. The richest generosity often comes out of the deepest poverty. Now, in, in, in both the cases of the Macedonian church and, and the woman, they were, both, they were both in poverty. They came to Jesus bankrupt. One, the churches with nothing physically, and then the woman came nothing spiritually, sinner, judged. She had nothing bankrupt to Jesus. But she gave everything, and the Macedonian church gave everything. What, what's, what, see, her worship... The Macedonian church's worship flowed out of their forgiveness. It, it flowed out of what flowed into their life. And if, if I'm the Dead Sea, so the reason why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because it's dead. And here's the reason why. Water flows in the lowest place on earth, but guess what? Nothing flows out. See, God... The reason why many of you are dead inside spiritually is because you're allowing God to flow into your life, but you're not allowing him to flow out. That's where the joy comes in. Is When I receive this great forgiveness, it has to translate in the way I give my life. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm just the Dead Sea. And so this rich generosity that's been poured out onto us, it should translate in the way I live my life to other people. See, the common thread with the churches in Macedonia and the sinful woman is they, they both understood that they were saved by grace. And from that grace flowed this overwhelming thankfulness and gratitude, which was seen, which was seen, which was seen in the way they gave. Listen, I'm going to be brutal with you. You may hate me for this, but can I just be honest with every single one of you? Don't tell me how much you serve Jesus if you're not giving to him. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm just talking about just giving my life, period. 
I mean, I can sit there and you can spout off scripture verses to me and your theology and that's fine. That's fine and dandy. whip de doo da day. That's what I say. But if I'm not giving my life to him and service to him, there's a disconnect people. There's just a disconnect of understanding God's grace and what's flowed into my life and what God expects of me to be in service to others where I take the middle seat mentality. Do we even begin to understand what Jesus did for us? Do you understand what he did for us? Paul says he became poor, that we could become rich, spiritually, that we could, that, that, that we could be the people that God call, called us to be, that we could never do ourselves, that, that he gave his life for you and I, that, that we could experience the righteousness of Christ, that Christ's righteousness through faith is now imputed into our life that we could never do on our own. And this all came at the cost of Jesus giving his life for us. And laying his life down as a sacrifice for for you and I. And so when I understand that, it needs to translate in the way that I give my life. So what I want to do, what I want to do today is the way I want to end this service is um, every single one of you had a, uh, we put in the bulletin um, a next step card. And what we want to do here is we want to help you to take that next step. I, want, I just want you to look at the card and, and it's just simple. It's, it's not rock science here, um, but, but I want to help you take that next step, next step and maybe an area of life that, that you can say, you know what, I, want to, I, I really need to take this next step. And, and, and we've got three ways that we want to help you to take that next step in, in, in response to what Christ is saying to you and what Jesus has done for you. Maybe it's in the way of giving um, maybe, maybe it's just, you're, you're going to start giving financial, financially regularly, or maybe it's, it's increasing my giving to the Lord. Now, let me just say this. Let me just say this. Um, I, I learned something about giving at an early age when I first started following Jesus. And I remember a teacher saying this. You own nothing and God owns everything. God is the owner and you're just the manager. And how are, you, how are you stewarding the things that God has given you? That was like I got smacked on the head. I never looked at it that way. All the gifts that God gives us are from him. And it's not the amount that God gives us. It's what we're doing with what he gives us. How am I stewarding those things? Let me say this. Um, one of the things I love about just giving generally to the church through my tithe. See, I love giving specifically to people because then it makes me feel good because I'm like, oh, I'm giving specifically this need. And somebody may come up to me and say, hey, thanks for giving, you know, which is fine. Even Paul took offerings for specific needs. That's fine. And we should do that. But when we generally give to the church the general fund, what I'm saying when I do that, and I do that, I'm committed to do that. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you to do something that I'm not doing myself. And here's the reason why I do it. Because it breaks my selfishness. And the reason why I give to the Lord generally, just, just to the general fund, because now I'm saying, God, you use it the way you want to use it. 
I'm not in control of it. So you take what I've given you, Lord, and I want to worship you with it. And I want you to use it the way you need to use it in the kingdom, in your kingdom, and in the body of the church, and, and, and to keep things going within the church and ministry and all the things that go on within the body of Christ and spreading the gospel. And so, yeah, there are things that we give specifically like to missions and Haiti trip and all that stuff's fine. But God gave this principle in the Old Testament about the tithe. Listen, it's Old Testament. We can argue all day long, well, God doesn't tell us to tithe the New Testament. There's nothing there. And we can have discussions about that. I don't want to get legalistic about you got to give 10% of your income. Here's the thing that Paul stressed. You set aside what the Lord wants you to give. And I don't think... I don't think God would want us to give less. I think it's training wheels. It's a starting place. But here's the thing that God said as he, he spoke this to the Israelites. He said, I want you to look at your tithe as something holy that you don't touch. And that's the way I look at my giving. It's a holy act of my worship unto God, saying, God, I'm going to give it to you out of an act of worship because this thing's holy unto you. And that's why I look at it from the Old Testament principle that it's a holy thing. Our giving is sacred unto the Lord. And it just breaks my selfishness. It does. And so I want you to have a generous heart, wherever that may be in your life, wherever you may start, wherever, whether it's regular giving or increasing, wherever that may start, you just give to the Lord out of, out of the abundance that he's done for you. And that's the way um, Kathleen and I give. God is so good. He's so good. And I know, I know, listen, I don't like talking about money. I don't talk a lot about money. I don't like doing that because everybody's going to think, oh, you're being self-serving. I, I just listen. But here's the thing. I don't care what you think, really. I don't care. Because I know what it does in my life. It just breaks my selfishness. And I want God to know that he's first in my life. And I just want to think about the purchases I make, the things that I do. I just want to recognize him because I want him to be in control of those things. And believe me, we, we, myself included, we all make mistakes. Can I get an amen? <laughs> it's always, the, the, the financial part's always the last stronghold. And we know because God's always fighting with me about my selfishness. So this is not an, an easy thing for any one of us, me included. So maybe that's your next step. Maybe your, your next step is, is, is getting involved in, in a small group. And maybe you are involved in a small group and, 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 and praise God for that. But we have small groups. We have acts groups. You know, we have, you know, just, uh, you know, groups that meet on, on, on Wednesdays and so on and so forth. But, but taking that next step by saying, you know, I, I need to get plugged in with the community. We had just an unbelievable men's group yesterday about the soul con group that met 20 men met yesterday. It's not too late to jump into that man. If you want to be part of that small group, but just getting around small tables and talking to the guys and digging into each other's lives and doing life together was unbelievable. Take that next step to get involved in the community of God. If you haven't done that yet. And I know God will bless you for that. I love our small groups. We've got a men's small group that meets on Thursday mornings every, every week. And uh, we've got a ladies' small group that's going to start up a Bible study that starts up in the spring. And we've got our Acts groups. These are home fellowship groups um, that meet once a month at people's homes or around our community. Um, maybe that's your next step. Maybe the next step is, is serving. 
you, you know, and I, here, here's, I know sometimes in the church we, we sit back, and so many of you serve, and I appreciate that, but sometimes we sit back and we think, well, things are getting done. Well, not really. It may look like it, but we got a lot of people serving, there, but there may be few people doing a lot of work. And, and, and maybe that's, you know, maybe you have a skill. Maybe you've got a skill of laying tile. I need a tile guy or woman that can lay tile. Maybe you can do painters. Um, maybe you've got this, I go, I can use that in the church. Yes. We can use you, right? Maybe you've got this special gifting that you can use for the Lord and serve in that way. You know, I said last week we needed some men to step up and just help with our boys on Wednesday night in our Royal Ranger programs to be mentors. You know, we got, we've got moms, single moms that are bringing their boys in, and, and these boys need me to mentor. Maybe say, yeah, I could, I could help out there. I can help out. Maybe it's with the youth group. Maybe it's with the children on, on Sunday morning that you can help out with kids. Maybe, maybe you're feeling like, man, I could, I, I've got the gift of hospitality. I love, I love, I love people. I'm just a people person up with people. I'm just a people person. I just love people. And I, I wanted people over my home. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you want to be an acts group host home or facilitator. Just whatever that might be, I want you to write that down and, and let God use you in those areas of serving. Now, here's the thing. We want you to put your name, email, and phone number there. I'm not going to follow up with your giving. I'm not going to call you in two weeks. Hey, what's going on with the giving thing? That's between you and the Lord. That's not the purpose of this. But the other two things is, because I do, we do want to follow up with you and plug you into that in that area of, of ministry. So, so we want you to fill that out. You can leave it at your seat. We've got a basket at the back of the uh, auditorium that you can, that you can um, leave it in there and, and pray for God just to help you and, and us to help you take that um, next step. Amen? I'm tired right now. I'm exhausted. Pray for me for the next service. <laughs> Would you take your card? Would you just put it in your hand? And can we pray together as the body of Christ? Listen, I never want to browbeat you as your pastor, but I want to encourage you to take next steps in your walk with the Lord. So I pray that this was a gentle, uh, a gentle thrashing, no, a gentle nudge to all of you, just if to take that next step to allow God to use you. So let's take this card and let's pray over it. Dear Jesus, we thank you for everything you've done for us. And God, I pray you just speak to our hearts now. Lord, we fall short in so many ways, and I thank you that you're so patient with us, never to give up on us. So Lord, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts now in the areas that we need to take a next step. That you would help us, Lord, not out of compulsion or out of guilt, but out of gratitude for what you've done for us. So speak to couples and individuals that you might use us to better your kingdom, God, to expand your kingdom. We want to be in it, God. We don't want to be sitting on the sidelines any longer. We want to be in the game. So God, encourage us to get out on the field. So I thank you for your word today. Thank you for the examples that we have in your word to help us and to encourage us to live out the life that you desire us to live, Lord. So we thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we just give you our lives now. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, amen.